Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. In our series, Built by Jesus, The Essentials of Local Church, we're examining how we as the local church can prepare to partner with God for fruitfulness. I'm going to ask if you feel comfortable just to keep your eyes closed if you, if you feel comfortable. And I'm going to read a, a, a little bit of a passage from the book of Revelation, a few, uh, a few verses from Revelation 4 and, and 5 and 7. And I want to invite you just to allow the Holy Spirit to, to paint a picture on your mind's eye um, of, of what, what I'm going to read. Just try and imagine that, to try and imagine what this, this could look like. I was caught up at once in deep worship, and there before me was a throne set in heaven, with one seated on the throne as if bathed in the brilliance of gemstones with the radiance of emeralds circling his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded the throne, with twenty-four elders seated, white-robed, gold-crowned. Lightning flash and thunder crash pulsed from the throne. Before the throne, it was like a clear crystal sea. Prowling around the throne were four animals, all eyes, eyes to look ahead and eyes to look behind. The first animal like a lion, the eagle, uh, the second like an ox, the third with the face of a human, the fourth like an eagle in flight. And they cried out night and day, never taking a break, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And I looked again and I heard a company of angels around the throne. 10,000 times 10,000 their number, thousand after thousand after thousand in full song, declaring the slain lamb is worthy. Take the power and the wealth and the wisdom and the strength and the honor and the glory and the blessing. And I looked again and I saw a huge crowd, too huge to count. Everyone was there, all nations and all tribes, and all races, and all languages. And they were standing, dressed in white robes, and waving palm branches, standing before the throne and the Lamb, and singing salvation to our God on His throne. Salvation to the Lamb. All who were standing around the throne fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen, the blessing, and the glory, and the wisdom, and the thanksgiving, And the honor and the power and the strength be to our God forever and ever and ever. Amen. What an incredible picture that is. Just the church of Jesus Christ that is worshiping before the throne. And that's what I want to speak a little bit about today. We're starting a a four-part series, the first of a four-part series entitled Built by Jesus, The Essentials of Local Church. And you might be wondering, why on earth are we, are we starting a series on speaking about the local church? Well, if, if you were with us in, towards the beginning of this year, I think it was the second Sunday of the year, I preached a sermon which, which summarized something of, of the eldership team's faith and expectation for the year that, that, that is ahead. We, we sense an enlargement. We sense a, an increase. We sense something of God uh, calling us to experience more, whatever, whatever that means, whatever that looks like, however we want to define that. And, and I came up with the, with the kind of catchphrase. I coined the catchphrase, 
which, which I think is going to kind of be the framework around which we're going to preach this year. And it's the phrase, we're called to partner with God to prepare for fruitfulness. We're called to partner with God to prepare for, for answered prayer and to, and to prepare for His promises that He's spoken over us, for those promises to come to pass. It, it, it might seem like an obvious thing to say, but if we are going to partner with God, then that means we need to figure out what God is doing and give ourselves to that. I, think, I know that's an obvious thing to say, but, but that's what partnering with God means. It doesn't mean we get to decide what to do and ask God to bless it. We, we find out what He's doing and then we throw ourselves at that. And, 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 and any reading of Scripture, I think you guys would agree that, that what God is, is on about, above all else, is this advancing of His kingdom. His kingdom of, of grace, his, his reign of love, His reign of goodness and mercy. God is advancing His kingdom through generations and through the nations. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 actually says that. It says God is, is bringing everything in heaven and on earth together under the authority of Christ. And, and most significantly, the Bible teaches that it is through his people, through the church, that God is achieving this. Jesus says in Matthew 16, he says, he says on this rock, what he means by that is he's referring to the supernatural revelation that Peter had that Jesus was the Christ. On this rock, I will build my church. Friends, there is no church unless there is a supernatural revelation of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There is no, anything else is a, is a, is a, is a, is a good club, it's a, it, it's a community club, it's a social effort, but the church of Jesus Christ is centered and built on the supernatural revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord. On this rock, Jesus says, I will build my church. Notice the ownership of that. It's not we will build his church or Jesus will build our church, but Jesus says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. God's church is forcefully advancing. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing through the church. And the gates of hell will not prevent that from happening. We mustn't forget that. And so this word church is a, is a word that is, that is used often in, in the New Testament. It, it simply means a, a gathering or an assembly of people that are called out by God. A gathering or an assembly of people that are called out by God. And it is used only, as far as I can see, in two ways in Scripture. The first way is is what I read out of the book of Revelation, uh, the, the church that we sometimes call the, the universal church or, or the church with a capital C, uh, even though those phrases aren't used in Scripture. But it's the, it's the gathering of, of all people from, from all tribes and all languages and all nations and across all generations that are gathering right now, even as we speak, before the throne of Jesus. Nancy sang about it this morning. I love that song, I, and I'm not even going to try and uh, 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 do a, a, a copy of that because she did a phenomenal rendition, but, but it's, the, it's the gathering of the, of the people of God from all nations and all generations, that, that multitude that is gathering before the throne. And, and when you and I get saved, friends, we get saved into that church, into that people of God. We have access into God's presence to join with the angels and the, those animals, those creatures that we, that we uh, uh, read about. We join with the elders and the, the multitudes that are bowing before the throne of Jesus. 
The second way that that, that, that word church is used is in the local sense. The the geographic location, the the gathering of God's people in a particular location for, for ministry, for encouragement, for fellowship, for instruction, so that we can go out and do what God has called us to do, to advance His kingdom. I like to think of the local church as a prophetic picture. It's a prophetic picture of that scene in heaven. I like to think of the local church, and some of you might scoff at this and think I'm being a little bit ambitious, but I like to think of the local church as a foretaste of heaven. And you cannot tell me, and I'm so stoked that we had the kind of worship that we did this morning, because I've got exhibit A right in front of us. You cannot tell me that this morning was not a foretaste of heaven. Of us gathering with people from different, gener- different ages and different race backgrounds and different economic backgrounds. And we, we gathering before who? Not a theology, not an ideology, not a conviction, not a passion, but before Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And those are the two ways that, God, that, that, that the Bible uses this word church. My friend, I, I think, the best, has come up with what I think is the best definition of local church. And it's simply this, it's a gathering of God's people in a particular location where God is present and in the habit of doing extraordinary things in great power. I love that definition. A gathering of God's people in a particular location where God is present and he is doing extraordinary things in great power. That's what church is and that's what I want to speak on today, the the magnificence of local church. And so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read a a text, the first 12 or 13 verses from Ephesians 3 and kind of unpack this together and uh, see what the Lord would say to us about about local church. And then I I feel we're going to pray for some folk. I just sense that God still wants to do some ministry with us. But um, we must remember that when we read Paul's, particularly Paul's letters, Paul's epistles, most of them are written to local churches in particular cities, uh, obviously excluding Titus and, uh, and First and Second Timothy. Most of Paul's letters are, are written to a local church, a church that is planted in a particular city. Uh, he, he starts off in First Corinthians, for example. He says, to the church of God in Corinth. Paul was writing the letter that we call First Corinthians to a local church that was planted in the city of Corinth. And the same is true here with, with, with uh, this letter to the Ephesians. He says in the first verse of, of chapter 1, he says, to the saints in Ephesus. He's writing to a local church. I say that to say that the church landscape in biblical times was predominantly, significantly more simple than it is today. And I don't think we're the better for it, to be honest, in our, in our modern day kind of context. We have endless numbers of churches of different streams and different denominations and different convictions and different passions and multiple parachurch organizations that are working alongside the church. And and I'm not saying that none of those are, are of God, but what I do believe, I do believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is coming back for a unified bride, a mature bride. Jesus is coming back for one church, not a range of churches, but for one church. And we need to be sure, and I want, to, I want to trust that we do this the best that we can, is to focus church in the city not around ideologies or theologies, but to focus ourselves around the person of Jesus Christ. 
Gary prayed it this morning at prayer. The only way unity is possible is not when we gather around a theology or a conviction, but when we gather around Jesus Christ. And that's the, that's the commitment that, that I want to bring on behalf of the eldership for this church. Let's read verse 1 together. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then you'll notice in most translations there's a, a, a dash or a hyphen. So Paul kind of goes off on a tangent, which really is freeing for a preacher. Because if, if it's canonized in Scripture, tangents are canonized in Scripture, then as preachers, we have the opportunity to do that. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now being revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Sorry, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask, therefore, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. All right, so let's unpack this a little bit. Let's look at verse 1. For this reason, Paul writes, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then, and then Paul interrupts himself. If you just cast your eyes down, I, I don't think I have it on the screen behind me, but if, if you've got a Bible, cast your eyes down to, to verse 14 and verse 15. Paul starts that section in exactly the same way. He says, he says for this reason, and, and this is where he wants to get to. For this reason, verse 14, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. But, but, he, but he interrupts himself. He, he goes off on a tangent. And, and I want to just quickly stress, I, I love how this is not an, an edited corporate document. Some editor hasn't grabbed Paul's writing and said, no, we've got to, we've got to take this out and we've got, to, we've got to add certain punctuation there. James at, in our staff meeting is a stickler for punctuation. And whenever we try and present some document, he's always, no, the, the hyphen is this and the, and the semicolon is like this and, it's, and, and the life of God is sucked out because of punctuation. There you go. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But, but, but Paul is, is, is he's saying, he's, he, he, he's interrupting himself. He's writing a real letter to real people in a real context. So please don't, don't ever forget that. This is, this is Paul expressing his heart to a group of people. And what he wants to do is he wants to explain to these Gentiles, to these new Christians, just what God has done for them in Christ. 
He wants them to understand what it means to be added to the family of God. He wants them to experience the the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. But he knows that he's been imprisoned because he's preaching this gospel. And he wants to encourage them despite his suffering and hardship. Look at verse 13. He says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged. Don't lose heart, is what he's saying. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart because of my sufferings for you. Friends, let me just say this, and I know we know this, but the plan and purpose of God is never without hardship and difficulty. The plan and purpose of God is never without hardship and difficulty. And if we don't realize that, it can cause us to become discouraged or it can cause us to, become, to lose our hearts and we get sidetracked from the purpose of God. Speak to Mike and Kyla, for example as they wrestle, as we do along with them, to trust for their son to be healed of brain cancer. Speak to the blacks or the laubers regarding their adoption stories. And those, those, those plans of God have been fraught with difficulty and hardship. Sometimes it's impossible for us to even know why we have to face the, the delay in God or, or, or some of our own weakness or, or the opposition from the devil. And, and Paul, what, what I find remarkable is Paul never tackles the issue of why we go through hardship. But the one thing he does do is he wants to emphasize who, as in who is on the throne in the midst of hardship. And he makes it very clear. Jesus is seated on the throne despite any hardship or difficulty that he's going through. And that's what I want to encourage us with today, friends. No matter how difficult the season, no matter how tough the the opposition, no matter how intense we might feel our weakness is and it's overwhelming us, don't ever forget that we we serve a good, gracious, merciful, almighty, all-powerful God who is seated on the throne. He's He's a God who is able to deliver us. I love the fact that Paul is not allowing his hardship to be written off to some circumstance or some fate. Paul doesn't say in verse 1, for example, I, Paul, a prisoner of Rome for the sake of you Gentiles. Because he knows it is Jesus who is seated on the throne. He doesn't serve some government or some fate or some circumstance. Jesus, friends, alone knows the beginning from the end. Jesus alone is able to somehow, and he promises to do this, somehow transform every suffering, every difficulty, every hardship to to a place where he receives glory and it is for our good. And we look to him and we trust in him, believing he is both willing and able to deliver us. But Jesus remains seated on the throne. And so what has God done for these new Christians? What What has God done for us? What can we learn from this particular passage? Two things that I want to focus on this morning. Firstly, the wonder of grace. And then secondly, from that, the magnificence of the local church. Look at verse 2. Paul writes, he says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. You've heard of, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. The word grace in the Bible is, is used in, in a various number of ways, but, but they're somewhat related. Grace can sometimes refer to the way that God relates to us or the way that God deals with us. God deals with us on the basis of His grace, His mercy, His unmerited love, His, his continual patience, His favor, His kindness, things that we have not earned. That is the grace of God. 
Sometimes grace refers to the way, Paul, the, the, the way that God uh, uh, transforms or shapes our identity or our worth. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Grace isn't just this nebulous concept. Grace grabs hold of our lives and transforms the very being of who we are so that we can understand we become who we already are, children of God. In this instance, Paul is using the word grace to refer to God's gifts given and the anointing or the empowering to do the work that God has called us to do. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul is referring to, in his instant, the grace, the calling, the gifting to be an apostle to this church. Every single one of us, the Bible teaches in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, God has prepared good works for every single one of us to do. The good works of, 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 of advancing his kingdom under the grace and anointing of God. I want to just pause there for a moment and just mention three quick things about gifts and about the grace of God upon us for those gifts. Firstly, God has given each of us unique gifts and the grace to use them. God has given each one of us unique gifts and the grace to use them. God doesn't give us the gifts without the empowering. God doesn't call us to a task without empowering us to be able to fulfill that task. The problem is, friends, is that some of us haven't discovered or settled the gift that God gives us, so we're not living under His grace. There is only grace for the the gifts that God has given you. And, And I speak from incredible personal experience. Longing often in my walk with God to wanting to want to be someone else or wishing I had the gift that someone else had. Ken, who's one of my closest friends, I've often said this to him. I have a, I have a ministry jealousy of, of Ken Grenfell. You know, I wish I could operate in the gifts and the power of the Spirit as, as he does. But God, in his goodness, brings me back to the fact that I am me and God has gifted me and given me a grace to be who God has called me to be. Friends, there are some of you here I know who are seated here wishing that you had someone else's gift or wishing that you would be used in another way and you're missing out on the grace that God wants to give you for the gifts that he's given you. God has given each of us unique gifts and the grace to use them. Secondly, the gifts God gives us are always for the benefit of others. Always. Paul says, have you not heard about the administration of God's grace given to me for you. God's grace given to me for you. The grace of God on Nancy to lead worship and Nate to lead worship is a grace gift given to them. Not that they can look impressive, as impressive as they look, but it's to bless you. It's to encourage you. It's to lead you into the presence of God. The gifts of God are always given, always given for the benefit of others. And then thirdly, and this might surprise some of you, Thirdly, we should find a way to use our gifts for the benefit of the church. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's, you're saying that because you lead a church. Well, no, the Bible actually teaches that. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those gifts that build up the church. 
Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, since you are hungry to be used by God, use those gifts that God has given you to build up the church. Why? So that the church can grow in maturity and become the means through which God can advance his kingdom into the nations of the world. So friends, when we, when we have people who set up on a Sunday, or people who do sound and media, or people who serve in children's ministry, or people who do administration or count the money, or, 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 or any gift or any act of service, it's not just to do a task. It's so that the church can be ministered to. The sound and media guys, friends, they, their function is to present or provide clear sound so that we can worship God so that we can be strengthened and encouraged to do the work God's called us to do. People who host on a Sunday morning prepare a a welcoming, warm environment for people to come into the church so that they can receive the good news and be encouraged to go and preach the gospel to nations. There is always the building up of the church so that we can go and do the things God has called us to do. But Paul moves on from verse 2, and he starts to speak about the mystery of, of this grace of God. And we're not going to read it, but four times in the, in, the, in the verses that follow, Paul mentions this phrase, mystery. What do we think of when we think of the word mystery? We, we think of something that, that we're going to try and figure out until, and we spend all of our energy trying to understand something, like a, like a whodunit novel or a whodunit movie or something. One of Debbie and I, my guilty pleasures is, is watching um, BBC whodunit dramas. Uh, we love a good mystery. We've watched probably every Miss Marple and every Poirot. Our French is terrible. The, the French detective. That, that French detective guy, we've watched, we've watched Law and Order. We've watched, I mean, we love a good whodunit. And, and we sit and we watch this together and, and Debbie, and we always, in the first five minutes, we push pause and we look at each other and we say, okay, who is it? Let's, let's guess who it is. You know, and Debbie always keeps it close to her chest, and then at the end she goes, "Yeah, oh, I, I knew it was him." You know, <laughs> that's that's what we think of when when it comes to mystery. We think of something that we have to kind of figure out, and it is only revealed at the end. But friends, that's not how the Bible refers to the word mystery. The the, the, the word mystery, when it comes to the scriptures, means something that is that is impossible to understand through human reasoning, but is revealed to us by the Spirit of God. It's counterintuitive revelation. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel is a glorious mystery. The grace of God is a glorious mystery. How can Jesus die on the cross and give away everything and yet be raised King of kings and Lord of lords? How can Jesus uh, uh, appear to be defeated by the devil but then rise up in victory, completely destroying the devil's works? It doesn't make sense that, that, that we, by simply putting our faith in Jesus, our sin is once and for all transferred to Jesus, and his complete perfection and righteousness is transferred to us. That's the mystery of the gospel. That's the wonder of grace that Paul is writing about. And look at verse 6 with me. He goes on to explain it even more. I love this verse. This mystery, this, this wonder of grace, is that through the gospel... The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Friends, let me tell you that there probably weren't two more different, diverse, distinctive 
difficult to come together cultures than Jews and Gentiles. And in, and in Jesus, they came together. And I want to say, friends, that's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is able to bring cultures that are so diverse and so distinct and appear to have so much difference, but in Christ, we're able to become one. That's why this nation needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reconciliation is only possible in the name of Jesus. It's only possible for, for, for cultures that are so different to come together in, in one in Jesus Christ. We need to be those mobilized to, to preach God's word. Which brings me to the second and kind of final point that I want to make. Not just the wonder of grace, but, but how does this wonderful grace get explained, get, ex- get, get proclaimed to the world? It's through the magnificence of the church. Look at verse 10 and verse 11. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's break that down very quickly. Let's go to verse 11 first. Because verse 11, Paul tells us, he says, God uses the church to do something according to His eternal purpose. So, so what, is, what is that eternal purpose that, that God has? And I mentioned it at the beginning. God's eternal purpose is to bring everything under the rule and authority of Jesus. God's eternal purpose is, is that all things in heaven and on earth, Ephesians 1 verse 10, come under the authority and the rule of Jesus Christ. How is this going to happen? Well, look at verse 10 with me. Firstly, Paul says, he says, his intent is that now, now, this is not a future word. This is not a word for 10 years from now. This is not an opportunity that, that, that is going to come our way. There is a call upon the church of Jesus Christ now to declare God's eternal purpose. Derek Miller prayed last Sunday uh, something of the nowness of God. And, and friends, I'm sure you can identify sometimes it's a lot easier for to, to have faith in things that have happened or to have faith in things that will happen 50 years from now. But sometimes, let's be real, it's difficult to have faith in the here and now. But I sense God wants to shift something of that in, in, in our hearts. To have faith in the here and now for His supernatural to, to be revealed. To have faith in the here and now that God can break in and save a, fri- a friend or a, or a family member. The, the, the power of God is available now for us to access and to begin to declare the wonder of His grace. It is now, Paul says, it is now through the church through the church. Do you know that the church is the only organization or, or thing, and I can't think of a better word, that is, that is the body of Christ? And so because we are the body of Christ, we have exclusive rights and the incredible privilege of making Jesus the head known to the world. It is through the church. It is now through the church that, that, that we are to display God's manifold wisdom, God's multifaceted wisdom, God's wisdom in all its degrees of beauty and glory. 
It is through the church that we come together with with different passions and different desires and different hearts and different passions and, and giftings and callings, a multifaceted variety of people. But it is God's will that through this, this varied group of people, His glory be displayed in, in a variety of ways into our city. In physics, we, we, I did physics at, at school, and, and, and we, we, you get taught about light and the, the, the fact that light is, is, is that the, 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 a prism is able to, to diffuse perfect light. So if you shine perfect, pure white light with all its component colors hidden in that whiteness, you, you, you shine that upon a prism, and the prism breaks open the, 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 the white, pure light into its component colors. And the church is exactly like that. The church is like a prism. God shines his perfect holiness, his perfect glory, his perfect love, his perfect grace upon the church. And the church under the grace of God is able to diffuse that, 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 that light into its component grace colors. The manifold grace of God being displayed into the nations of the world. But we're, but we're centered and come together under the person of Jesus. It's now through the church that the manifold wisdom of God be displayed to, Paul says, be displayed to, to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Friends, we're not just making God's grace known to our nation. We're not just making God's grace known to the nations. Paul says we're making God's grace known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. God is displaying his grace through us to demonic forces and rulers and principalities and powers saying, look at my people under the grace and goodness that I pour out upon them. Moses says to the people of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, if you you follow God's ways, you will display his glory to the ends of the earth. Paul says to the church, if you follow God's ways, you will display God's glory to the principalities and powers. This has cosmic importance. Church on a Sunday, friends, is not a good idea. Church on a Sunday is of cosmic importance. Church on a Sunday, when God's people get together to worship Jesus and to be instructed from his word and to minister over one another and encourage one another through fellowship, friends, it's not a good idea. It is of cosmic importance. We are displaying the manifold grace and glory and goodness of God to our city, to the nations, and to principalities and to powers. We need to rediscover the incredible privilege of what it means to gather together as a local church. The incredible privilege that we have to come into God's presence. Uh, in, in, in 1 Peter 2, Peter writes, We are a, a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Friends, local church is a foretaste of heaven. Come expectant. To press into the presence of God together with others. To hear God speak to you through others. To encourage one another. And to receive what God wants us to receive. So that we can go out and do what he's called us to do. I've nearly finished. I've got a couple, couple just practical things I wanted to talk about. Three ways. Three simple ways. That this can be practically outworked at church in the city. Now, 
there are myriad, there are multifaceted, there, are, there, are, there is a prism number of ways that we can outwork this. I just felt to, just to share these three as we talk about what it means to, to be part of this local church. What does it mean to, to take ownership of, of what God is doing in this particular family? Firstly, I want to say this. I invite you to be intentional and to partner with God to find a local church that you can call home if this isn't it. I want to encourage you, partner with God and be intentional to find a local community that you can call home if this isn't home for you. And sometimes it takes a while to discover that. Sometimes you can discover that immediately. But eventually God wants us to be knitted into a church family that we can get behind and serve and be part of for the strengthening and encouraging of that church so that Jesus can be glorified. Find a local community that you can call home. Secondly, I want to say this. If church in the city is your home, be wise. And by wise, I mean be prayerful, be discerning, be thoughtful on how you receive teaching from outside church in the city. Let me explain what I mean by that. Every single one of us sitting here probably has a favorite preacher or teacher. I, I, I certainly do. I've got a couple, couple people that I love to listen to and I love to, to read. Maybe you guys have the same thing. Maybe it's R.T. Kendall or Bill Johnson or Rich Case or, or Mike Bickle or, or Tim Keller. Or, uh, I'm probably left out half the celebrities that you guys listen to. But great, great men and women of God who, who are used powerfully to preach uh, in their local congregations and often write many powerful, powerful books. But if every single one of us sitting here wanted what your favorite preacher or teacher was teaching in their church, wanted that to be outworked here, I'm sure you can imagine just the incredible myriad of voices that that would bring to church in the city. Every single sermon that is preached, I believe, not just in this church, but in every church, I believe every single sermon preached has a context, has a specific journey, has a specific season and a particular location that that sermon is fashioned in. Just like it is here at Church in the City. When any of the elders or people who stand up to preach here on a Sunday, it's not a haphazard message. It's not our favorite little pet topic that, we, that we're preaching. We have, we, as an eldership team, we've pressed into God. We've, we've tried to discern what journey God is having us to be part of. We sometimes argue and differ over these things, but we come to a consensus preaching the word that we believe God is giving you for this season, just like it is in other churches. And so, friends, it's sometimes difficult to try and take someone else's journey and live it out in this local church. So I say this, listen, be hungry to learn from others. I'm not saying don't listen or learn from others. But be wise, be thoughtful, be discerning in how that is outworked in this local church. Thirdly, if church in the city is your home, I want to say celebrate your ownership by being generous with your finances. Matt spoke about it a little bit earlier. It's one of the ways the Bible teaches that we, 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 we are called to be generous with our finances in the local church in which we are called to. Be generous with your finances be generous with your time. Prioritize the family get-togethers. 
Sunday mornings, Wednesday prayer times are great opportunities for us to, to get together and to hear God together. And be generous with your involvement. Use the gifts God has given you to help build the church. I don't think passivity is an option if we, if we ca- capture the importance of the local church to Jesus. That this is, that, that, that is the one thing he says he is building. I want to end with this. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16. From him, from Christ who is the head, the whole body, the church, is joined together and held by every supporting ligament. Every part is vital. And together we grow and we build ourselves up in love as each part does its work. Friends, the local church is a magnificent, magnificent thing because we have this, the privilege of declaring the wonder of His grace to, to, to the nations of the world. I want to ask that we just close our eyes for a moment and let's just trust and see what God might want to do this morning. Father, I thank you so much for your incredible goodness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We worship you. We praise you. Holy Spirit, would you just minister the word that you want to speak over us this morning. Just massage that deeper into our hearts. Things that are not for us to hold on to, Father, I pray they would just fall by the wayside. But Lord, things that we are hungry and should be hungry to receive, things that you want to declare over us, Father, I pray that we would grab hold of and we would ask this morning, Lord, may you just massage your word deep into our hearts today. Come, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I just feel there is an opportunity for us to respond, maybe specifically to to the preaching this morning. And I'm going to ask for us to respond in this way. I just sense in my heart that maybe there are some here seated today who either haven't discovered or haven't settled the gifting and grace that is upon your life. And I feel God wants to help, you bring, help bring you to a place of assurance of what He's called you to do, the good works that He's prepared in advance for you to do. If you, I'm gonna, don't respond right now, but I just want you to think about that. If that's you, if you are saying, I, I, I'm struggling to, to discover what that gifting is, or I'm, just, I'm, I'm struggling to settle that gifting, I know what it is, but I'm, I'm constantly yearning for something else. I'm constantly looking for something else. I haven't settled that thing that God has called me to. And because of it, we're, we're missing out on the grace of God. I feel like God wants to minister to you today. And the second area that I felt is, is simply you're saying, I, I, I've settled what God's called me to. I, I, know the, the, I, I know the gifting God has for me but I'm desperate for more of his anointing. I'm desperate for more of his empowering. I'm desperate for more of his presence upon my life to enable me to do that. I feel it would be appropriate for us to respond so that we can, we can just press into God for a moment and ask him to do that. I'm gonna ask if that's you to stand quickly. 
so that I can pray for you. The reason I'm asking you to stand is sometimes it's just an activation of faith, saying, Lord, as I, as I stand up, I'm just trusting there'd be an activation of faith. And so, Father, as people are standing, I, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that firstly, we would just have our ears and our hearts just tuned into you and what it is that you are saying and doing. Father, I ask for, for wisdom and I ask for discernment in Jesus' name, not, not of a human uh, 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 um, ability, but of a supernatural outpouring upon us, Lord, to, to discern, to, to identify what it is you have called us to and to settle those things, Lord Jesus. Lord, even now, would you begin to speak your word? Even now, would you begin to reveal your word, reveal your heart, reveal your plan, reveal the good works that you have prepared in advance for these incredible people to do? And Lord, I I pray for your grace, just your grace to come, Lord, for your grace to come. Would you pour out your grace, Heavenly Father? Would you pour out your grace, Heavenly Father? There are some standing here today where I, I feel like it's been a long journey, a long journey of you pressing into God and saying, God, reveal, reveal your plan, reveal your purpose. I trust this would be the season. Now, now, Lord. Would you reveal your heart to these precious people now, Lord God? Freedom comes, Lord, when we, when we know what it is you've called us to. Freedom comes, Lord, when we give ourselves only to what you've called us to. And, and I just pray, Father, a breaking off of, of, of things that people have put on them. Be this, or do that, or this is your call, or this is what you need to go after. I pray, break that off, Heavenly Father, and let them get a vision of what you've called them to, Father. Release your people, Lord, to run far and to run fast in the things of God. We want to come out from underneath those shackles, Lord. We want to find your grace. We want to find your grace. Thanks again for listening. You can always check out more messages at churchinthecity.us or on iTunes.